Hey everyone, it's Simi Shaw, and welcome to Trailblazers. On this podcast, I dive deep into the journeys of trailblazing South Asians, sharing the stories of the leaders and dreamers lighting the way across the South Asian diaspora. Today, I'm welcoming Nick Sharma of Sharma Brands to the pod. Nick is one of a kind. He got his start in one of the most unique ways we've seen on this podcast. By managing the social media of influential celebrities like Priyanka Chopra and Pitbull when he was just 15. While still in high school, he launched a full-service creative agency for artists. And eventually, he decided to forego college to make his mark in advertising and marketing. He'd eventually end up leading direct-to-consumer for Hint Water and Vayner Media. He also previously built audiences for Bustle Media and Refinery29. Here's what's crazy. Nick is just a year older than me. I'm 24, he just turned 25. So unsurprisingly, he is one of Adweek's young and influential and a Forbes 30 under 30. This all eventually paved the path to Sharma Brands, where Nick advises companies on how to grow and scale online. Some of them he's invested in, like the Juggernaut, which many of you are familiar with. His portfolio spans Morning Brew, Pill Club, Judy, and Orgame. And because advising wasn't enough, he even recently launched a rolling fund called Masala Capital. Nick is, as they call him, the D2C guy. And what I'm most excited about today is that while Nick produces loads of content for growing companies on how to build online, there's a lot less out there about his own story. And that's why I am so excited to chat with him today. Welcome to Trailblazers, Nick. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. That was such an awesome intro. (laughs) Well, so one of the wildest things to me is how you got your start in this world. And it was when you were 15, managing the social media accounts of people like Brianka Chopra and Pitbull. How exactly did that happen? So... As you know, growing up in a brown household, there's two sets of TV. There's cable, and then there's the Indian channels. Yep. So on the Indian channels, on Sony, my cousin, Sarika, had a show called Andaz. Okay. And she would basically interview a bunch of high-profile people, and she found like a really interesting way to take some of the really interesting things that South Asians are doing in the world and kind of bring it to light on this platform which saw like 150 million viewers a month. And it was anybody from like Jay Sean to Naveen Jain to the random like things you would never even find on the internet. And anyways, she hosted an event in LA and it was almost like an award show for Andaz. And that's where I ended up meeting Anjula Acharya, who is a just a like an icon, like an absolute mogul. Yep. And someone I looked up to a lot when I was in high school, mainly because I loved that space of media and the industry. Yep. But there's not a lot of like brown representation. So to me, like Anjula was the North Star. I was like, I want to be Anjula when I grow up. <laughs> and so I ended up running into her at this event, this sponsored event in LA that my cousin threw for the show. And we just ended up chatting here and there. I saw her again at, at Tycon, which is also the Indian entrepreneur event. Yes. Missed my prom two years in a row for Tycon. And <laughs> oh my gosh, that's dedication. <laughs> yeah. 
And I thought it was cool because, you know, I was working for my cousin at that time, doing all her social media. And to me, I was like, okay, so you're telling me she's going to pay for my flight. I'm going to get a hotel and I'm going to get to go like rub elbows with the founder of Five Hour Energy. I'm in. (laughs) So to me, it was totally worth it. So I ended up getting there and met with Anjula again. And then basically like two weeks later, she lights up an intro to Pitbull's manager and we start working together on Frankie J's stuff. And then it just kind of went from there. But it was definitely like unconventional at the time. My brown friends were were studying for like the SAT and the ACT <laughs> at that time. And then, you know, my white friends were like partying and having a lot of fun. And then there's me like dropping my sister off at a house party. And then I go to Starbucks and just work. Wow. Yeah. Super, super interesting. So obviously you had Angela by your side, but being that you're 15, how did you get these guys to take you seriously? Well, one thing that helped was I definitely knew what I was talking about. What I did was more on the organic social side, and I understood it really well. You know, that wasn't my intro to social marketing. Before that, it was, I mean, I was in high school, so it wasn't like crazy, but it was, I knew all the ins and outs of the platform. I knew like how to drum up engagement. I knew what kind of things worked, what didn't work. And so I think just being able to properly talk about it and regurgitate it and answer questions in a way that makes sense to them really helped get that across. But also Zoom like wasn't really a thing even before COVID. So most calls were like on the phone or most things were done over email. So I was able to get away with not showing up with braces in my mouth (laughs) to a meeting. (laughs) That's amazing. So yeah, it seems like you obviously have this self-starter vibe and you're starting to do this in high school. But even then you had this entrepreneurship bug. You founded this company called Social Voo, and then there was Sharma Media, and then a platform called Ad Shepherd. Can you tell me a little bit about each of these projects and the inspiration behind them? Yeah. So I was probably one of the, not worst, but like I was a pretty bad student (laughs) in the eyes of like us fellow brown people, probably one of the worst. And it didn't help because our family friends were like going to Berkeley. I remember one kid I don't know if you know Vinny Pooji. Oh, yeah. He would come over and be like, oh, thank God I got into Wharton Huntsman. Now I don't have to apply to Harvard. (laughs) I was just like, dude, you're making this so hard for me. So I was not the smartest or the brightest bulb in the room, but I was definitely like, I loved business. I loved projects. I loved sales. I loved marketing. When we'd get the Sunday paper, I was I had Circuit City and Best Buy and Fries, and I'd wow. compare the prices and understand. Okay, if this is what I want to buy, like I'm going to get this from here and this from here. If I wanted a new bike, I'd have to go sell my existing bike door to door, get rid of it, get that money, and then use that towards the new bike. If I wanted an iPod, I had to make a whole presentation to my parents on like why and how and what it is and why I need it. So I kind of always just loved sales. You know, we'd go to a mall. You'd find me hanging at the kiosk where they're selling like screen protectors because I just loved seeing how they did it and how they went from basically grabbing somebody walking down the mall to end up getting their money and putting a product on their phone and giving it back. Like that whole thing just fascinated me. Wow. And so I kind of always had that in me. I loved consumer products, especially electronics as a kid. I think every kid does. And that's kind of just like what got me into it. And then I think the thing that kept me going was like, 
realizing that, you know, you do one thing and then another opportunity opens up and you do that thing and another opportunity opens up. Yep. And it's like peeling back this onion that there's constantly something just better and better behind every door. And it doesn't come unless you like, you know, you just start or you just keep going. So that really got me into entrepreneurship. And then both my parents, they were entrepreneurs too. So like seeing them kind of like live life on their terms or just that constant being around it, I guess that helped a lot. Reinforcement. Yeah. And then, you know, when I went to Gravity 4, I worked pretty much directly under the CEO there. When I went to Hint, I worked directly under the CEO there. And so I I was always kind of around this like entrepreneurship aura, you could say. And I was always personally very fascinated by it because I just felt like you could really control what you're doing and why you're doing it and how you do it and when you do it. Yep. And I just loved that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, this resonates so much because I also grew up in an entrepreneurial household Mm -hmm. and feel like it was very much emphasized to me that my parents were able to have the time that they had to spend with me and do all these things. And hey, isn't this flexibility that you'd want in your future? Mm-hmm. By the way, it's because I'm an entrepreneur. So I totally understand that. And it's super interesting how in some ways we end up emulating our parents more than we might have expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you just mentioned Gravity 4 and Hint. Can you tell me a little bit about your path to both of these places and what exactly your roles entailed? Yeah, so Gravity 4, companies all over the place. But the path to get there, I thought, was actually pretty interesting. So I followed the founder for a minute, and I just saw that he, at some point, was launching a new company. And I was in a position where I just finished high school. I just had my graduation party and I was going to University of San Francisco. Again, I wasn't the smartest kid, so I didn't get any like, you know, no scholarship or anything there. But when I saw that he was hiring for something, I don't know how that translated to me thinking, oh, maybe I'll just go there instead, but it did. And so instantly in my head, I thought, okay, let me message this guy on Facebook, like his personal account see if he'll read it, respond to it. He also just has a ton of followers on the internet. And so he was getting bombarded with messages. And I had actually tried to hit him up before to get him on my cousin's show at some point, but nothing ever came of it. So anyways, I think I just messaged him like, hey, I'll come intern for you for the summer. Like if you get my flight, I'll do whatever you need. And he responded and he was like, all right, let's set up a Skype for tomorrow. This was on a Tuesday, I think. And then Wednesday I had the Skype. And then he was like, all right, I'll give you, I think it was like, I'll give you uh, 900 bucks in cash and I'll get you your flights. And I was like, done. (laughs) I'm there. Really? Yeah. The thought in my head was just like, oh, 900 bucks. That's perfect. That'll cover like an Uber a day and like a meal. That's all I need. And obviously he ended up also actually covering my hotel, which was nice. So I had a place to stay. I had Ubers and a plane to get there. And then it was great. And I was there. And initially, you know, my role was just like, be the intern. So it was like, you know, we were moving into an office, go on Craigslist and figure out, get seven quotes for who's going to put the sign up, then lock somebody in, get the sign made and get it done. Or it was, we're about to pitch like Ollie, that vitamin company that's all over Target. Yep. Figure out like what we should pitch them, why we should pitch it to them, do some research on who's coming into the meeting and like put together a deck. And I'm just like, you know, right out of high school trying to figure this out. A lot of it was like drowning and trying to figure it out as a result. And so yeah, 
I would say that job taught me a lot about how to just like go figure shit out. Yep. And I never felt that I could answer, oh, I don't I didn't know how to do this. And so it was always me trying to go figure out how do I do it so that I don't go back to him and say, I don't know how to do it. Wow. And in my head too, I have this conversation a lot with my immigrant friends or non-white friends. And they always say, you gotta, you, you know, you gotta act like the white folk. <laughs> Meaning like you gotta be, you gotta know that like most of the things in your head you think, oh, am I gonna get fired because I don't know this? Or am I able to say this, right? Like you gotta have the confidence to do that. But I didn't at the time. And so I just kept thinking, oh, if I can't get this done, like I'm out of here. Wow. And so for me, it was all about just constantly figuring things out and learning things. It started with intern things. Then it went to the social media of the company. And then it went to like, our business development team needs help. So we're going to throw you into business development. And over there, it was, we have our own set of apps. We need to figure out how to get these apps into publishers. There was like already a business development team there. And so now I was coming in as like fresh meat, non-college educated, competing up against business development teams that have been doing this for 10 years. Wow. And then I approached it from the same way. Okay, I got to figure out how to do this. How do I do this better than what they're doing? And I created this like incredible cold email strategy yep. and just smoked everybody on the team. Wow. But it was all because, again, I was like... You can't afford to fail. Yeah, you can't afford to fail. And the other thing was, I can't go back and say, I don't know how to do this. I didn't have a college degree. So I couldn't even say oh, I can't do this. So I'm going to go get another job because nobody would hire me. Yeah. So it was basically just, you know, figuring it out. Super, super interesting. I mean, was there any part of you that thought of this as a gap year that you would eventually go back to college? Yeah, that was the initial thought. So initially it was like, I'm just going to go there for the summer. Okay. And then it was, okay, I'm just going to go there for the first year. And then I'm going to go to college. And then probably like six months into that, I was just like, I don't know that I'll actually ever go to college Wow! at this time, like maybe down the road if I want to, but I don't know that I need to go to college right now. Yeah. And what resulted in that mindset change? I think one was being on the business development side or the sales side and just knowing that, frankly, I was like smoking everybody else. I think that was one thing where I was like, oh, these guys went to college how come they're not doing better than me? Like, is there anything that I missed there? Yeah. And then I actually ended up going and sitting in in a few classes, like higher level business and marketing classes. And I remember specifically going into a class and they were talking about like how innovative it was that FedEx was using Twitter to respond to a customer. And I, I was just sitting there thinking like, this stuff's five years old. Yeah, like this is obvious. We're learning about something as innovative, but it's like five years old. Wow. Yeah. And so I think that's when I was like, okay, I think I will stay here for a little bit and I can always go to college if I need to. I think I also felt confident in the sense that like I could pay my bills and that was my main priority. As long as my bills could get paid and I didn't have to rely on my parents for paying any bills, yeah. then I was good. Yeah. So I would imagine, I mean, obviously in our community, not going to college is a pretty unconventional decision. Did you receive any pushback from your family or friends or people within the South Asian community back home? Oh, my God. <laughs> Tons. Uh, there's definitely a few extended family members who disowned me for a little bit. My mom, though, my mom was like, she was like my bodyguard there. Wow. Any claim that came towards me, any like slander from a random auntie or a cousin or anything, 
she would fight him off. Wow. And, you know, she would just be like, just watch, just wait and watch. We'll see in five years who's right. And lucky for her, it turned out right. And lucky for me. But then when three years ago, when Forbes put me on their 30 under 30 list, that was a big deal for a lot of our family to be like, oh, he actually might be okay. He's not like a failure. (laughs) And so that helped. And then, yeah, now everything's fine. But yeah, 100%. It was like everybody and their mother, why aren't you going to college? Are you sure about this? Are you like being told to do something? Are you being tricked into something? Oh my god! And I was just like, no, guys, I can always go back if I need to. But my other thought in my head was like, how many times am I going to be this age with nothing to tie me down, no baggage, no like, no real bills where I could take this kind of chance? And yeah, luckily it worked out for the better. Yeah, super, super interesting. I, I mean, I think it's hilarious that you say the Forbes article and Forbes 30 under 30 was super legitimizing because that seems so classic and obviously not at the same scale but I feel like I've definitely gotten some feedback of like why are you spending so much time working on this podcast and doing these things and then it gets featured in Forbes and they're like oh wait a second this seems like kind of (laughs) cool now and I'm like I've been doing the same thing but (laughs) yeah then they want to show everybody yeah exactly exactly yeah no I love that so I'm curious, you work with Gravity 4, you develop all this experience. When do you get recruited by Hintwater? So that was actually a really hilarious story. So at Gravity 4, I mentioned I, I was doing sales and also just like working my tail off. And so one of the things that I was constantly doing was also chugging Rockstars, Red Bulls, Monster Energy, Vitamin Water. And you know my workday started at like 6. And it went till, I don't know, usually 11 at night. But I was also like very much, I was always on. And sometimes I had publishers that were clients of mine, like Hypebeast, for example, their tech team was out in Japan. And so I had to be up late night to talk with them. So anyways, so I was drinking all this basically shit. And somehow, I don't remember when it happened, but our office manager just hint water just popped into the fridge. Okay. And I started drinking it and drinking it. And then I was off of vitamin water, I was off of Red Bull, off of Monster, off of Rockstar. And I would drink like two to three of those a day sometimes. It was pretty bad. Wow. But then it just went all to hint water. And I was drinking basically a case of water a day. So it was like 12 bottles a day. They were just like <laughs> empty and they'd get stacked up on my desk. And I started putting out these like really cringeworthy tweets of like, this is the best thing in the world, which it totally <laughs> was the best tasting water. I'd tag the founder, be like, you created a gem over here. And then I ended up like taking control of our snacks in the office and just started ordering a ton of hint water, two to three grand worth of hint water a month for the office. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And then it became a thing in the office. Like there isn't many tech companies actually, but it was like, you know, the hint water comes in, everybody comes and takes their bottles, hides it away so that their flavors are theirs. But anyways, I started tweeting about it and that's kind of how I got in touch with them. Okay. And then I think just constantly, anytime I see a product and I have a connection to the founder or somebody that works there, you know, if I'm walking in Whole Foods or walking into a bodega and I see their product, I'll always just send them a picture. Wow. And I think I did that with Hint at Whole Foods and the CEO was just like, hey, do you want to like grab coffee and see if there's anything we can do together? And I'd actually just left Gravity 4 because they were slowly crumbling and couldn't afford a US team anymore. And so so I ended up leaving Gravity 4 and I was just kind of in this like, I don't know what to do. 
and I was walking in Whole Foods with my mom. I sent a picture to, I think, Kara on DM. And she was just like, yeah, let's set up a time to chat. We chatted and, and basically I was going to work with them for a few months to help Kara with her personal brand because she wanted to build that up. Then I started working with her and eight months later, she was like, we have this performance marketing role that we just fired the last person. Do you want to take a stab and see if you want to you know, fill this role? Yeah. And so in my head, again, you know, that imposter syndrome, I'm thinking like, oh, there's no shot. There's no way I'm going to do this. I'm going to come in at 20 years old as their director of performance marketing and do what four people just got fired for. (laughs) But then I I ended up basically accepting the offer and then the same type of habits applied. I was the first guy in, last guy out. I was there just working until it worked. Yeah. And it ended up turning into a very successful eight-figure direct-to-consumer business alone. And then it was history from there. Yeah. That's amazing. And it seems like Hintwater is really where you found your niche in direct-to-consumer and D2C. Can you explain a little bit more about that and why you found that ended up being sort of your passion area in this world? Yeah. So, I mean, when I got there, most of what they were doing was really positioning the product as like it's a zero-calorie, unsweetened, flavored water. Come try it. Get 20% off. At Gravity 4, one of the things I would do is work with all these like, not scammy, but like kind of scummy publishers <laughs> that, you know, they sit at the bottom of websites and they're like, you won't believe what this celebrity looks like 25 years later. You know those ones? And so yep. those were my, a lot of my clients where our goal was to basically take their content, run it on Facebook, get really cheap clicks and traffic. And our goal was like, for example, to get a three cent click from a user in the US on their desktop computer because more ads show up then. Yep. And so when I joined Hint, they were pushing really like what they were selling. And I realized that in order to get those cheap clicks and more traffic, we need to tell a story of why we're selling it. And so there's a very famous hustle article we call it the Sweetie article. Okay. And it's basically about how Kara, she started the company, she started building it up and called a Coke executive and said like, hey, you know, I've got this thing, it's doing a few grand a month. Do you guys want to like take it and scale it? And in a a very demeaning way, he said to her like, oh, Sweetie, Americans, they like sweet. And how she used that and a handful of other things is like motivation to build this into a really successful business. Wow. And so... When I joined Hint, I was just thinking, okay, how do we take really good stories like that and put them in front of people where we actually tell them the story of why this brand started and why it exists versus just like what the product sells. So coming in, like the hustle was just starting then. And so I reached out to the hustle who I had known and just said like, hey, you guys, you know, let's put this up on your site and I'll drive some traffic and let's see if we can start a partnership. And, you know, that was like the first, but then it was doing that with a handful of other publishers. There was this aspect of finding other like-minded brands like myself and myself, this guy Nisho, who was at Third Love, this guy Mike Dubois, who was at Stitch Fix, and this guy Aaron at Madison Reed. We would get lunch like once a month and just talk about what worked and what didn't work. And actually, I think for me, what got me really interested in this space was just the fact that like... A, we get to do stuff that's really fun in the sense of like we get to sell things that people hold in their hands. For me at Hint, it was really cool to see a comment on an ad that was like, oh, I tried this and 
I'm never touching soda again, or I tried this and it changed my life, or my diabetic dad loves sweets, but he can't eat sweets, so we give him Hint and he loves it. And so I loved the fact that with Hint, we could get people healthier at scale. It wasn't like you had to go one by one or you know, you're not pushing this like brand marketing campaign. On the performance side, it was you look at like CPA, which is cost per acquisition or cost for a new customer. And it was like, you know, we could basically dial down how many customers are we getting healthy today? How much did it cost to get this customer healthy? Like that's the way we looked at it. Yeah. And I just loved that concept. And you know, all the brands we work with today kind of play in that similar space of like, how can we take these really good products that help people and get them out there? But that's, I think, what got me really interested in direct-to-consumer, along with the fact that I could go and work with like The Hustle and BuzzFeed and all these other cool people at different companies, you know, like going to three different high schools and then not going to college. I was definitely looking for friends. So (laughs) it created that perfect outlet to go find some friends too. Yeah, that's amazing. It seems like you really have this first mover quality about you where you have foresight into something that's going to be big. And I think a perfect example is like the hustle you just mentioned, partnering with them when they were just getting started. Mm-hmm. How much of that is luck and how much of that is this internal formula you've developed to spy long-term trends? I think neither. I think it's just a lot of like testing things. Like, okay, you know, there's probably like a hundred things that failed. And then this was the one that took off. You know, that article, the Sweetie article and if anybody wants to read it, it's just Google the hustle as one word and sweetie as a second word. It's the most read article on the hustle. Wow. And that was one of probably like seven different pieces that we tested. Then we had the hustle was one. We did the same thing with like BuzzFeed and Refinery and Babe.net and Dig. And maybe like two of those actually ever took off. You know, the rest were all failures. And so I think it's less about like the courage to make that jump or the forecasting of a trend. It's more of just that always on mentality of like, let's test this, let's test that. Yeah. And then one of them is bound to take off and do well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, luck is really just like right place, right time. You're, do- you're already doing the right things. It's just the timing becomes right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're compounding all this experience. And then in 2019, you decide to launch Sharma Brands where you're helping major brands grow and scale. And this includes companies like Brightland, Judy, Vox Media, Orgain. Tell me about the path to starting Sharma Brands. Yeah. So I realized that most quote unquote agencies, and one of the biggest frustrations I had at Hint was that a lot of agencies didn't understand how we operated internally. And that meant more of like the, as a direct to consumer brand, they didn't understand that we have a ton of money available to spend, but we have to test into it. We can't just say, like, if you're a large company and you're going to do a campaign with Refinery, you can be like, here's $100,000 as a test. But as a D2C company, you're more like, you know, where's the 5K or the 10K test that's going to unlock the $100,000. And so for me, it was like, one, can I create that platform where we can actually help brands test and learn and get into that? But two, there was just D2C is like still fairly new. I mean, most D2C brands, their strategy is like copy another D2C brand. Yeah. There's very little like actual innovation. And so for me, it was just like, could I do something where I already have some knowledge on how direct to consumer works and the different pieces? Is there a world where I can help another company launch it? And so 
one of the first companies I did that with was like Chacha Matcha, which is a matcha cafe in LA and New York. And they came to me and said, you know, we want to take our cafe experience and the fun vibe that we have. And we want to sell these lattes and iced tea cans on our site. Can you help us put together, you know, what that looks like? And so I thought it was fascinating. And the project was basically like building them a site, you know, working with them around making sure it's something that's priced right, making sure the fulfillment is there, the packaging. And I thought it was fascinating. And then the second project I did was with Super Coffee, basically doing the same thing. Yeah. The third project was then working with a fragrance company to launch a fragrance for Cher, the singer. And then I was thinking, okay, this is really interesting. Like, these companies are basically, it's not like an agency where I'm coming in and these companies are telling me what they want to do and expecting me to do it. I'm coming to them with all the ideas and they're just saying, yes, let's do it. Okay. So that's when I was like, this is really different than traditional agencies. It's almost like advisory and consulting with execution work. Yeah. But we come to them and, and now I'm responsible to bring them all the ideas. And so that coupled with just being active on the internet, which I have always been just because it's, again, for me, it was like, I didn't have friends in high school. So the internet was my outlet. <laughs> so those two together just really helped build it. And then obviously word of mouth is strong. Absolutely. Being in New York here is, is very advantageous because you can go get coffee with you know one of the biggest investors in like 300 different companies. And all of a sudden now you have 300 leads. Yep. All the way to, if you put out good things on the internet, which I think everybody should do, it leads to just the, I mean, we've had Fortune 50 companies, the CMOs of Fortune 50 companies coming to us simply because someone on their team forwarded them a newsletter that I wrote or wow. DM'd them a tweet that I put out that they thought, oh, we should be thinking about this the same way. Yeah. And so I think the combination of that really helped a lot. And then obviously, you know, doing really good work helps as well. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a lot of what you've been able to build at your company and with your own personal brand, so much of it is genuinely organic. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for people that are looking to build their brands or build themselves? The one piece of advice is probably like the very cliche Gary Vee thing, but it's like document, don't create. People always ask me, oh, you know, how far in advance do you plan your emails? Or do you schedule your tweets ahead of time? Basically, do you schedule your content? The answer is really just no. You know, I might leave a meeting and think that was really insightful. I'm going to put that on Twitter because I'm sure if I thought that was interesting, tons of other people will find it interesting. Yeah. Or any of the emails I send out, I just look at my calendar and notes from the last week. Okay, what was the maybe the two or three things that people had issues with the most over the last week? And then let me write about that as a solution to basically answer a question to thousands of people at once. Yeah. But Everybody's an expert in what they do specifically, meaning like if you work at Southwest and you fix airplane engines when the screws are loose, you're an expert in that, right? Or if you are an optometrist and all you do is scan people's eyes and give them prescriptions and help them combat eye fatigue, that's what you're an expert in. And I think everybody's an expert in something and there's always people who are ready to listen, right? 2% of the, of the people will really ever be the creators. Yep. That's probably wrong given like TikTok and stuff now, but, <laughs> but a very small percentage of people are ever going to create content consistently. Yep. But over time, those are the people who are going to get all the eyeballs. Absolutely. And I think if you want to be an entrepreneur, even if you want to be like, I have a friend named Eli 
who works at Olipop, and his Twitter feed is all about customer service and retention and surprise and delight and all those types of things because that's what he focuses on. He gets consulting gigs offered on the side or jobs thrown at him every week because people are just like, this is somebody who clearly knows what they're talking about. The last thing on that point I'll say is having some kind of presence on the internet helps you skip the line in almost any situation. It's like being the most attractive person trying to walk into a hot nightclub. Like you just, you walk straight to the front. I love that analogy. (laughs) Yeah. It's the flash pass. Yeah. Somebody can just Google you and right away know what you're about and that you're legit or you're not. And they'll easily know, okay, is this person going to waste my time? Are they not going to waste my time? And it's a total, total hack. I think it's probably the one thing that I tell everybody to do. You know, you don't have to have a million followers, but even 5,000 followers in that niche that you work in or in that industry you work in, those 5,000 people are, are the right people. They're the people you want to be able to speak to. Absolutely. I love this piece of wisdom you're giving because personally, I just got active on Twitter over the last year. And honestly, it's how I came across you and your work. That's awesome. And I just find that it's an amazing platform. It's so eye-opening in terms of people you can discover in various niches you're interested in, the ability to learn so much on a day-to-day basis and discover all these people I would have otherwise never connected with. So yeah, I am very pro Twitter and appreciate you saying that. I also quickly want to throw in a plug for your newsletter. It is absolutely incredible. If you are someone who is looking to build yourself or your brand, Nick produces amazing content on a weekly basis. Over 15,000 people subscribe to it. So be sure to go and check it out at nick.co slash email. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So I want to transition to what you're doing on a daily basis at Sharma Brands. You're working with amazing companies from Pill Club to Morning Brew to Bustle Media, companies that have really blown up in recent years. What's the most memorable project you've worked on where you really saw the impact of what you're doing? I would say, honestly, the most memorable one is probably the Sweetie article that we touched on earlier. Okay. The reason I think it's so fascinating is because. It's this concept of what I call like full funnel marketing. It really takes somebody who has no idea about what they just clicked on or why they clicked on it. But if you land on the page and you read this article, or maybe we should call it an advertorial, it's basically an editorial ad, it really gives you a full understanding for what it is, why it exists, how it's going to help you and how you get it. In my opinion, that's like the perfect blend of commerce and media. It's being able to take a media platform and the, the ways in which a media company distributes their content and merge it together with what a brand is offering or what a brand is trying to sell. Yeah. And I just think it's fascinating because actually, I'm, I'm really surprised more companies don't do it because I think every company from Pepsi all the way down to Judy should have their own publication that puts out really high quality content and builds a really good first party audience that they have access to at any time. You know, you almost create your own distribution versus relying on social platforms or email or anything else. So I would say that's probably the most interesting thing in my eyes, yeah. Yeah. No, I love what you just mentioned because I was recently working at a media startup and it's just becoming so obvious to me that 
companies are going to need to build their own internal communities yeah. that they can immediately distribute to without going through the quote unquote third party, whether that's a media platform or anything else for that matter. I mean, I think A16Z is such an obvious example of that with them building out their media arm that they're realizing we can go directly to the public because we've established our reputation in this one thing and people want to come to us to understand the content and media trends and get that directly from us. So mm-hmm. super, super insightful. I'm curious, something that I found fascinating just in learning more about your life is that you actually have a lot of South Asian touch points having managed the social media accounts of Jay Sean and Brianka Chopra. You're an investor in the juggernaut. You've done consulting work for Kiana, which is founded by Shilpa Shah. What has that been like working with South Asian creatives and founders? Honestly, it's funny. Whenever I work with somebody who is South Asian, I feel like, okay, this has to be done on a higher level or on a higher standard really? than everything else. Yeah, like I remember with Kuyana even, when Shilpa got on the phone, I was just like, all right. I looked at my team and I was like, guys, we have to deliver here. We have to go way above wow. and truly deliver. Why is that? And yeah, I mean, I think it's just like, I don't know. I think it's just something that I probably feel from like growing up and always... Like, for example, when we're young, we always go to like different families' parties every weekend, right? Yeah. It's like before you walk in the front door, your mom and dad are telling you, say namaste to everybody, be respectful, ask how their day is doing. There's like a whole separate set of expectations. Yeah. And I think then when that translates into client work or working with people on a daily basis who are Indian, it's like there's a whole different set of expectations that I have to hit, whether or not that actually exists is a different conversation, but I always interpret it as like, okay, I'm replaceable. And if I don't do this right, they're going to find somebody else. Wow. It's fascinating, <laughs> but I love it. I respect it a ton. Has it surprised you having had the opportunity to work with so many South Asians in this space? Yeah, honestly, it's been a lot of fun. I think the most fun thing is when you sit down and you just instantly feel that connection. Like I remember I met with Ashwarya from Brightland. And within basically a minute, I was like, all right, I'm definitely going to invest in this company. And our meeting lasted 30 minutes. But, you know, within a minute, I already knew. Or even with Snigda from the Juggernaut, within a minute of talking to her, I was like, all right, I'm in. This feels like home. So (laughs) that's amazing. Yeah. So I do love working with them. But yeah, there's always this extra level of like, okay, we got to make sure that we over deliver not just the normal, but even higher. Yeah, that's hilarious, but I think it's awesome. Yeah. So you just touched on the fact that you've invested in some of these companies. When did you start your investing journey? It probably started at the end of 2018 when Helena from House was going to unveil House and she was basically like, do you want to invest? And up until then, I'd only DM'd with her maybe for like, the past year before that. That was actually another advantage of just being on Twitter is like, you get to see a lot of deals before they even become deals. Yeah. And so I think House was my first investment. Brightland was my second. And after that, it just kind of gets blurry. I stopped updating on LinkedIn after a certain point. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, tons of media companies, e-commerce brands, and then a lot of just software that supports both. Yeah. And next month, I'm launching a rolling fund that will basically cater to the same, but 
it'll be proper check sizes, not like my measly little checks. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank you. That's going to be called Masala Capital, which people love the name. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So did it feel like investing was a natural next step, just given all this work you were doing with founders, especially in the marketing realm? Yeah. I mean, I always thought I definitely wanted to do it at some point. Yeah. And in my eyes too, I was, you know, I was like, okay, the $10,000 that I invest here, this is like me paying for education, right? I can get behind the scenes. I can see the numbers. I can see how they're doing it. I can see how they think about a launch. I can see how they think about packaging, why they think about things a certain way. And so for me, it's just, I always look at it as an investment into learning something. I rely very little on any of these investments coming back, even though many of them will. But whenever I invest, it's more like, I hope they do what they're supposed to do. But worst case, I'm going to learn a ton of things out of this. Wow. Yeah. Really unique perspective and appreciated one for sure. I'm looking yeah. to get into it and I think that's really exciting. Yeah. You've obviously achieved a ton of success at a very young age, but sometimes when people do rocket to success in this way, they feel like they missed out. Do you ever feel that way? For a little period, I definitely felt like I missed my college life. Probably more when I was in San Francisco, like having a social life in San Francisco is impossible because the people are just, no one there is like excited to go out and have fun, make new friends. But coming to New York, it was like, you know, when I came to New York, I already had more friends in New York than I ever did in San Francisco. And so when I got to New York, I think that went away. And also just like progressing in my career, I think I realized that there's a lot of other ways to have fun or get experiences than just going to college. Yeah. Last question I have for you. What's the vision for Sharma Brands? So right now we're a consulting firm, but eventually, if all things go well, I would love to both launch brands that we create our on our own. Wow. So studio-like. Yeah, kind of studio-like. And then also acquire brands that have gotten to a certain point, but less on the side of like, we don't want to take distress assets and yeah. try to be PE. We more want to go and either partner with a founder who has a really good idea but doesn't know how to do it or acquire a brand that has gotten to a certain point, but the founder now has no interest in continuing to run it, but they want to find a good home for it. Yeah, that's super exciting. And I wish you the best of luck on that as well as Masala Capital. Super excited for that last one. Thank you so much for joining me on Trailblazers today. And it goes wonderful to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you want to get new episodes straight to your inbox, subscribe to our newsletter at SouthAsianTrailBlazers.com and follow us at South Asian Trailblazers on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.